Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Castle Rock. Today we'll be covering the seventh episode from Castle Rock titled The Queen. Queen of Hearts, Queen of Spades. What are we doing here? Freddie Mercury. Of... <laughs> right. Oh my goodness, this episode. I, I'm, I want to talk about it, but I almost don't want to talk about it because I might cry a little bit. Um, before we jump into our top five, let's jump into a word from this week's sponsor. So are you on a health and fitness journey? Why not get paid for it? 10 women are needed who need to get or who want to get paid, sorry, to share their health and fitness journey on social media. You do not need to be in great shape. You just need a passion for helping others. No experience necessary. Trainings are included. You do need to be a hard worker and self-motivated. Email insideout.fitlife1 at gmail.com for more information. Yeah, and I've been hitting on this for a while, so insideout.fitlife1. So if you don't want to kind of do this training, uh, kind of more sharing your social media aspect of the working out, there are other things you can do by reaching out. You can get into on these programs like I'm doing where I'm trying to get my beat shape, which spoiler <laughs> or I guess maybe a little lead and we'll have that at the end of this episode, but trying to, you know, get in better shape and, you know, this workout that I'm on, it's like a six day one off. And, you know, it's one of those things I come home, I'm excited to work out. I look forward to the working out, you know, while I'm at work, I'm like, okay, what workout am I doing tonight? And I get pretty excited for it. So, um, they're like, 30 to 40 minutes, they feel like, you know, I'm sweating and they're great. So there's all kinds of variety. I'm doing a weight one, but you know, if you're interested, check it out. It's insideout.fitlife1 at gmail.com. Sweet. You've inspired me, Sean. I've gotten back <laughs> in my habits of working out. I don't know if I should thank you or, or kick you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on if it's leg day. It's like I'd kick you, but my legs hurt. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't, I can't lift my knee uh, or my foot up off the ground because I'm writhing in pain. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, get out and do that, people. It's good to be healthy. All right. I'm super excited to start talking about this episode so that uh, let's jump into our top five. I'm going to start out this week with my number five, if I can find it. Here we go. Uh, My number five, uh, I'm just very small, small piece, but she's so relevant and and it just makes me question is um, Molly. Um. We saw her very, very little in this episode, just in the one little scene when she's banging on the door of of Ruth's house and Ruth comes to the door and, you know, she's looking for Henry, asking if Ruth has seen him and that she's looking for him. And Ruth is kind of still in her confused state. Um, You know, she seems kind of confused and she she tells Ruth, you know, I'm afraid something something's starting or getting ready to start. And she says it already has. Um, but we also, um, it just makes me wonder, because we left off with the last episode with Henry in, in that box, that filter, or whatever that thing was that um, Odin made. So it made me wonder, can Molly not hear Henry or that, feel him? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, she like, it yeah. just all of a sudden was shut off. You know, like, she's, you know, kind of at least gets these, like, little pings from it, and all of a sudden it's like, there's nothing. And then she reaches out and gets nothing and then just has that weird feeling like either he's gone or something's happening to him. 
Yeah, because we know that it's supposed to be like the most quiet place on earth. There's like no disturbance and there's all of this like insulation that keeps out all of that noise. I wonder if that's also somehow blocking, you know, whatever it is, how Molly reaches out to feel or hear people, if that's blocking that as well. And and I think that is probably why I think that probably leads us as to why she was looking for him because she is unable to to like hear him or feel him. And then it made me wonder, where the hell did she go? After Ruth shut the door on yeah. her, because I mean, it's like, I think I would have been just a little bit concerned about Ruth. She seemed very upset. She seemed troubled. I think I would have, I don't know if I would just walk back on into the house or something, but I feel like I would have stuck around maybe, you know, next door or stuck around out in my car just to make sure that Ruth was okay. Because, you know, everybody knew, um, you know, Ruth's um you know, health and knew that she had some issues, you know, has dementia. Um, and you think that she, and maybe she did, maybe we just didn't see her. Maybe she was lurking about or something, but, um, just maybe, well, where the hell did she go? She was there and that she was gone. Um, just seemed kind of weird, but anyway, um, Molly's been a really big, uh, player in, in all of it so far. She wasn't so big in this particular episode, but I still feel like she has more to do. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, this episode, I mean, it was very hard to kind of like, I felt like I was kind of all over the place too watching this and them throwing Molly in. It's like, it's a very, very little bit of this episode and kind of easy to forget about with everything going on. But Mm -hmm. you know, it is like what you said. It's like, okay, well, where'd she go? What'd she do? Now there's a story about Molly and why didn't she contact somebody? I mean, if she knew that Ruth had some kind of health issue. Why didn't she, you know, call the police, call Alan, try to call somebody that she knew that could come over and check on her? Uh, yeah, that's a good pickup. Yeah, it's you know, Molly. You know, well, and did you get from Ruth that Ruth knows that Molly killed her husband? Yes. Okay, I did. You know, and because that was the toughest thing here. Like, Mo- or Ruth, whenever she was talking, like she was talking in riddles this uh-huh. whole episode. And like I feel like this is an episode you could watch like four or five times to try and catch everything, and you know it you'd come out contradicting yourself every episode every time you watch the episode. Yes. Like no, she meant this. No, she meant this. But you know, the, it was like she had a moment of clarity as she's talking to Molly's, like you know you did the right thing or something along those lines, and just really really interesting to see that like again like we talked about last episode, Ruth knows a little bit more than I think she lets on. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think that that was very interesting. And I know that I speculated about that in the episode when we saw a young Molly walking across the street, walking into the house and and unplugging Matthew Deaver from the machines and over just in the next bed, because he's like in a hospital bed and then in like the regular bed, you see Ruth asleep. And you see her kind of toss and turn a little bit and Molly looks over her shoulder at her to make sure she can't see her. And I'm like, how does that happen? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I, you know, once I'm out, I'm usually out. Not too much wakes me up, um, you know, most of the time unless I just wake up on my own. But as far as like if somebody's like in the room or making a noise, I don't traditionally wake up. I shouldn't be saying that. That might, (laughs) (laughs) creepers are going to sneak into my room. Um, But, you know, I, I speculate. It's like I feel like Ruth knew she was there. Mm-hmm. Like I, well, I felt like Matthew was not a great guy and she's like, I'm okay with this. I'm okay. If you take him out, I'm not going to stop yeah. you. <laughs> well, and it could be like, she could have been completely asleep, but we've seen her kind of go through to these different timelines now. That's is, true. Is this actually just her Alzheimer's where she's 
kind of seeing these things again from her perspective, or is she like a time walker type thing where she's actually in these you know situations? So she was able to go back in time and watch this thing happen. That's true. I, yeah, I didn't think about that. I was thinking of her just lying in bed asleep, but yeah, she could have very well like revisited this in her memory walking that she does. So, yep, good point. That's awesome. What's your number five? Uh, my number five, I think, is pretty short and sweet, but I, I really loved it in this episode. And it's the chess pieces. Oh yes! So I we want got, some now. Yeah, so we got a little bit of this in the last episode where she was talking about like these are kind of like her totem. These are the things that like let her know that she's in reality. Mm-hmm. And I love that you know we got to see all these different aspects of you know like this is this is an episode where you, if you could edit it yourself and put it into all the situations that she was kind of reliving in this one episode. Cause really this was like Ruth in the first five episodes, you know, we mm-hmm. had talked about like, there's a, a moment where she was like looking at the bed real weird after the guys left. And what's, well, you know, we saw why she was looking there because she was reliving a moment here. And I really love that she would, you know, was her age like now in these, right. you know, situations kind of like reacting what happened. And, it, you know, I, I always really, really like things like Nightmare on Elm Street does this really well where you're watching the movie, you're seeing this character and like little things start to like, be like, wait a second, like this doesn't seem right. You know, like in this we saw like, oh, wait, the cross is back. Oh, wait, you know, this is here. Oh, wait, this is there. And, you know, you're like, oh, crap, she's back in time. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, the reference there is like, oh, they're in a dream world. Right. And she would go and she'd, you know, every time she'd see that totem, you know, one of those chess pieces and be like, oh, okay, I'm in, I'm in the past. I'm not in the now. And she would reach out for those to bring herself back when she was ready. And each time we would see like, oh, when she was in the fridge, she grabbed one and came back from the the little dream she was in there. Uh, You know, when she was talking to Wendell, uh, when she was just meeting Wendell. Uh, But it was a really cool episode just in the sense, like I said, you could take this episode and kind of split it between the other five. And it'd be mm-hmm. really, really interesting to see how it would play out at that point. Because they could have done that. They could have buried the lead in episode one that she was doing these things. But they waited all the way to episode seven, which I thought was really, really good. And really, really lets Ruth kind of shine in this episode. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, such a fantastic episode. I think that this is not just like the be- – and I mean, I've loved – like all the episodes of Castle Rock so far, but this one probably has to be my absolute favorite so far. Mm-hmm. And not just of, of this series, but like the best episode of TV that I've seen in a long time. It like was this really, was just really well done. Yeah. Just a really great, you know, act well acted, um, well written. And I mean, if I don't know if very many, like, well, I guess Handmaid's Tale um, from Hulu got some Emmy recognition, but I really, really hope that Sissy Spacek gets some recognition mm-hmm. because if they see this episode, I mean, she was absolutely amazing in this episode and she was brilliant. So um, I agree. I love seeing all of that as she's moving through and we got to see everything from her perspective. You know, we, we, we've, we, saw some scenes that we've already seen but we got to see him from her perspective like I loved it like from that first episode when Henry comes home and he's kind of arguing a little bit with Alan Pangborn about mm-hmm. you know well what else have you signed for her you know on her behalf making it sound like he's a little bit more you know devious than what he really was and you know we know Ruth had left them and went upstairs so we got to see what happened to her while she was up there and when she comes down she's still kind of in that fog of that memory that she was just stuck in and when she gets back downstairs I just thought that that moment was kind of cute uh, where she's like, Oh, the sheets. Yeah. Like she does oh, sheets. 
Jeez, that's that's what I was going off for, and I got sidetracked, stuck in this memory, and um, I just thought it was it was just an interesting perspective, and this whole episode was an interesting perspective to see see something like that through the eyes of someone that really suffers through this horrible disease that so many people suffer through, and um, you know, kind of seeing what it's like for them, you know, a little bit, and um, she did such a great job. I like that good number five. Those I love those chess pieces. Okay, my number four um, is good, evil, or just creating chaos. Uh, it's all about the kid. So mm. I am still not sure who or what uh, this kid is supposed to be. And I, I really am not a fan, but people keep referring him to the kid. So I figure for continuity's sake, um, and yeah, because yeah. that's like how he's referred to, uh, you know, online or even in like the closed captioning. If you're if you're reading things <laughs> in closed captioning or the scripts, it says the kid. So. For those purposes, that's what I will call him. Um, but I'm not still haven't figured out uh, who or what he is. Uh, but you know, I thought it was interesting that we we still haven't seen him actually harm anyone. Mm-hmm. He's had opportunities, but he's never really actually harmed anyone. I mean, his cellmate died of cancer after he t- well, we can assume he touched him, um, and he warned him not to touch him. But we don't really know the entire circumstances with that. They say, like when the news was playing, that he caused that fire at Juniper Hill. But how do they know that he did? I mean, they... I remember on the previous episode, they said on the radio that uh, multiple people, like... um, well, I don't guess they're really prisoners, they're patients, I guess, that were him included had escaped. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, okay, so how do we know that it was him? Why are they pinpointing him exactly? Did someone see him do it? So I was just curious how, you know, that he's actually the one that caused the fire because they were showing his his picture um, up on the screen. Um, so he's accused of doing that. And I think there is something up with him. But I'm just still not convinced yet that he's evil. And I'm wondering if he's just there to create like more chaos and confusion, either in general in Castle Rock or just for Ruth. Um, do you think he's doing it on purpose or do you think it's just it's kind of like a dumb and dumber thing or like a Mr. Magoo where it just kind of it accidentally happens around him at all like, times? Like he's just this being that he just is this being that like it bounces off of him mm. or radiates out of him? This kid, I don't know. I think we talked about that a little bit in that last episode where, when he was first released from jail and he's, you know, kind of walking around the town and we get that family that kind of, you know, goes completely chaotic and he's hearing all those voices. There's the fire that's happening. And I think we kind of speculate on that. I really don't know. I know I'm not canceling it out, but I, I really just don't know. And, I don't know if he is doing it on purpose because it feels like he can, I feel like he can almost control what, ha- like, or maybe he can't. I don't know. Can he not control, like, if people touch him, that something horrible is going to happen to them? Is he just mm. an embodiment of evil and he can't help it? Maybe. I don't um, know. Because, I mean, he seemed really, really sweet to Ruth. I mean, it was kind of creepy in a sense. You know, it's like this woman he's yeah. barely even talked to. Talking to her in full sentences, talking to her almost like he is uh, uh, Ruth's husband, mm-hmm. playing the wedding song, dancing with him, cooking her breakfast. When he walks in, Ruth sees her husband for a split second. Yep. Um, and when I saw that, I almost thought that the kid was – he was uh, um, like a, a time walker as well. Like he was mm. – you know, because we saw the, the episode where he went to and saw that family that kind of went crazy. 
Now, was he actually there or was that something in the past? So like, was he right. kind of time walking into that event? Um, yeah. So that's kind of the question I had here is like, is, was he just fulfilling kind of an event that happened before? So like Ruth and him were reenacting their parts um, from a past story type thing. I know. And, and throughout this whole episode, it was making me think like, did he really channel Matthew Deaver or was it just part of like Ruth and her like horrible disease, like really meant messing with her mind and her memories that was projecting, you know, when she saw the kids, she saw Matthew mm-hmm. and it made so much more sense in the last episode, you know, before we saw this one and the kid is standing out in the backyard in that suit and she, which we saw it in the, in the previous for this one, you know, she goes, I thought we buried him in that. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, Henry's like, well, who she says your father. And it's like, why would she say that about the kid? Well, it's like when she's looking at the kid, she sees Matthew. So I don't know if that's just her confusion with her disease. um, And that's part of her memories and kind of playing tricks on her or if he somehow really did channel Matthew Deaver. And also the kid I feel is like Molly can like hear people's thoughts. She can feel things from others. She can feel their emotions and what's happening to them and stuff. I wonder if the kid can also feel that. I feel like he, when he was standing on the rooftop that he could hear people's thoughts too. Remember we got to hear yeah, all yeah. of those voices and, and I didn't attribute that to just Molly. I thought that was coming from the kid. Like he can hear, like he's standing over, you know, up on this building and he can hear like the entire town and that whole crowd of voices and stuff the, of the whole entire town. And it wasn't just Molly. So it's like, can he hear Ruth's thoughts? And that's how he was able to say the things he said. Cause she kept quizzing him right throughout the whole, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, exchange like, well, what's the, um, what's the combination to the safe? Um, you know, where are the bullets and, and what, and the music when she was talking about blue moon and, it, and he's like, well, that was from your wedding, but he said, your wedding, your husband, he mm. didn't say, you know, like our, I'm your husband yeah. or our wedding. He said, your wedding, your husband. Um, it's like, he kind of knew what was happening with her and he kind of knew what to say. And he, it's like, because he has this ability the similar to like Molly has that he knew all the right answers. He knew how she liked her eggs, you know, and he knew all these things. So it was just really, God, it was just really messing me up. So I don't know. Um, but then did you catch, you, you said it when they were dancing, he touched her. Yeah. Yeah. I've got that noted down. That's actually my, uh, number two. Oh, okay. That Ruth we don't have to talk the, about it right the prisoner. now. Prisoner. Uh, well, we can't, it's not a big deal. Uh, Cause I mean, I don't really have a ton to it, but yeah, it's just the fact that, you know, Whenever anybody's touched him, it's never ended well. You know, Henry's mm-hmm. never touched him because he went to shake his hand and he wouldn't do it. But this, like, he open embraced her. And he had this whole, like, childlike, like, l- almost love for her because she said something about, you know, after breakfast what, or after dinner, what she likes to do before bed is, you know, she likes to take a bath. He's like, well, I'll, I'll draw one for you. Like, you yeah. know, like a very, like, kid type thing, which. I have a note in here. It was kind of weird that she had Henry sitting in the bathroom with her while she was taking a bath. Um, (laughs) That was a little odd. Um, And I know uh, uh, Matthew kind of said something about it too. But uh, yeah, I just, I I, I can't get a a feeling of that. And if if Ruth doesn't have anything bad happen to her because of this, then then it seems more to like me that the kid can control that. It's like, well, don't touch me. Maybe it's unwanted touches. So if you unwantedly touch me, that's when bad stuff happens to you. But you know, if mm-hmm. you touch me and I'm okay with it, then nothing bad happens. Although, as we see, something bad did happen in this episode. 
I know. And then her whole, which oh, I hate to get into it too much, but you know, it seems like it just, it was a, a, a big, as if it wasn't already bad enough the way that she was trapped and couldn't quite unlock herself from everything that was happening. But then it just really went to a really bad downward spiral. Um, so yeah. And then I was curious what happened to him after Alan left to go find Ruth? Cause we know from the um, previous episode, you know, uh, Alan finds the kid on the steps outside of the house and, um, you know, sees him bleeding and then he runs off to go find Ruth. And then of course we see what happened in this episode that, uh, she shot him, but it's like, well, what happened to the kid? We saw it. We know he was out on the steps. So where did he go then? So I'm curious, uh, where he went and what he's up to now and what his real motives are. I mean, was he really meaning, in the last episode about building a monument to the people that put him in the cage. Mm, yeah. um, you know, what, what did that mean? Is that his true motive? What is his true motive? What, why is he there? I don't know. There's so much uh, and so many unanswered questions, but that's my number four. Yeah. And I like to, like we talked last episode that it looked like the blood on his hands wasn't somebody else's blood. Mm-hmm. And we end up finding out that, yeah, in fact he was stabbed by Ruth. Um, which again, like I, I don't. I don't know what her motives were to stab this kid too, mm-hmm. because yeah, he was a little creepy, but he wasn't doing anything malicious. I mean, he did say like, "Oh, you need to stay here so I can watch you," which is creepy. But it's like because of your condition, you know, because if you're lightheaded, you know, I want to be able to watch you just in case something happens. Well, I think that she was doing it because she, when she was looking, like when we're watching it, we see the kid. When she's looking at the kid, she sees Matthew. And I think just for like our sakes as viewers, we see the kid, but we do see at times that we get that flash every now and again, you get that flash of Ruth when she looks at him, she sees Matthew, but then all of a sudden we see the kid again. So, um, and then she, you know, I think is believing that she needs to kill him. So she keeps seeing Matthew and I I guess I didn't interpret it that way. I thought like she saw Matthew. And then she realized it wasn't him, but that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, if she was seeing it was Matthew the whole time. That's that's the way I'm taking it, but I don't think that we get like definitive answers at all. I think that um, we're just left to kind of make out what we want to out of this episode, which drives me crazy. I want a definitive. Here is your answer. Here's what this means, and I'm not getting it. <laughs> Why do I torture myself with these shows? <clears throat> What's your number four? So my number four, we again, we touched on it a little bit, but this episode, to me, feels like what it would feel like if you had Alzheimer's. Mm. I don't know if that's a gist that they went, wanted to give you because it was probably more just like, this is the storyline. But to me, like, you know, she would flash back and in those moments, she would have, like, her voice would be clear, but everybody else's might be a little bit muffled at times. Mm-hmm. So just not like having a full grasp on reality, not really sure where you are. Um, you know, like when she answered the door for Molly, she's like, when are we? You know, when she yeah. had that conversation with Wendell, she's like, hey, you know, we've had this conversation before. And we'll uh, have it again. And we'll have it again. And then just, you know, like the moment where she's running away from uh, the kid, she's running through that crowd. And you know she wasn't running through anybody where she was, but in her mind she was. So, like, was she, like, running through furniture? Was she running through, like, a closet? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like as stressful and as, um, you know, challenging this episode was to watch, I feel like that's, like, you could see that as somebody's day-to-day type of situation. 
And I thought, you know, if that was their goal for this episode, I thought they did a really good job. You know, it's, you know, it's very just all over the place, but in the right way. And, you know, they said she was talking in riddles and it just uh, kudos to that for making this episode just feel like, I don't know, just very, very much like I think that maybe Alzheimer's probably feels like when you have it. Mm -hmm. Again, horrible. That can't imagine the feeling of not knowing where you are or when you are. Um, and, and what's real in that moment. And, you know, I think until this episode when she, or last episode, when she started to place the chess pieces, you know, around different places, you know, and that's the system, I guess she was talking to Alan about when they got back from the doctors mm-hmm. and she's like, it's okay. I just need a system. And so this is her system. And that's having those chess pieces as her totems to center her and bring her back, you know, so she knew this isn't real, you know, bring me back. And that's, you know, that's what her, her totems were for. Um, and if I, I rem- remember reading, it's, I don't think I had it in the news, but it was uh, from one of the news articles that I had that the writer of the, this episode, he's one of the, um, co-showrunners and he wrote this episode and he was the single writer on this episode. And, um, I guess his own mother has mm. suffered from Alzheimer's and dementia and that's given him that insight and perspective of that disease and what it's like. And you can really tell that they did a, like you said, did it such a great job of like really projecting what that is really like and what people suffer with that disease. Yeah. It's such a, I mean, you, you think like that's, I think it has to be really, really tough for a family member to be in that situation. Cause you know, it's somebody you've known for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years mm-hmm. and they don't recognize you. But the scary thing to me on that is like, you don't know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, this is kind of what we think is like, well, they don't recognize us, but you know, how scary would that be to wake up and not know where you are or not know that person coming to you? And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool that I guess that, I mean, cool in the sense that he's got something to kind of go off of and put into this episode, not really to honor, but to kind of maybe, um, bring a little bit light to like, here's, here's kind of what it's like. Yeah. And like actually put, you know, a real face, you know, to a disease. It's not just this disease. Like there are, you know, there's a real face to it and, and what it can do there, there are, it's not just a disease. There are real people, you know, and that in this episode we got to see, you know, Ruth as more of at the forefront, a real person and not just a person suffering with this disease and what it's doing to her and how she suffers. You could hear the suffering in her voice when she talks about, you know, that she didn't even know her own son when he shows up. I mean, how, how awful would that be to not even recognize your own child, you know? And she, she knew that. I know sometimes like you come in and out of it, I think. So like you remember that you don't remember your kid, like how Mm -hmm. awful you would feel because like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm sure my kid feels horrible about that now, like, you know, probably offended almost. And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those diseases. Like you you think of the big ones like that cancer and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. I think cancer has touched like so many people's lives and people can see that how, you know, somebody just deteriorate and they can tell you like, I'm in so much pain. Whereas with this, it's you just, it's like, okay, that person doesn't recognize me. They can't tell me that they're in pain because they don't recognize me. I don't, I can't tell what kind of condition they're in. It's yeah. Scary, scary it's terrible. Thing. It is terrible. Okay. So my number three, um, Oh, we're going to get really just morose here on this, this podcast. I can tell this, this one just left me so sad. And, um, it was it was uplifting but sad, and this was one of the sad moments. There was the death of Alan Pangborn. Yeah, 
<sighs> I mean, such a, a big character throughout the Stephen King universe. And, you know, um, gosh, didn't you know? So I remember watching this episode and I just knew, you know, Ruth is in that garage and she is looking for those bullets. She's loading the gun. And you just know that when she turns around, you hear that noise at the door and you just knew, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you knew that was not the kid. You knew that's not who she was shooting. You knew that was Alan. And I just thought, oh my God, just stop. Stop for a minute, Ruth's just stop I mean, it's not him <laughs> at the, during the cold open and when they showed like the previously on like mm -hmm. with, with those two things like right away i'm like he's gonna die he's gonna get yeah. shot because she's not gonna know who it is um i don't know if they did that on purpose like sometimes with shows i'm always kind of like i like to feel like i've outthought the writers <laughs> right you know, or, or at least i like, caught on to their game um and sometimes i'm like okay you've made it too obvious like that's stupid Mm -hmm. Like this, I think it was kind of it was that was their plan is to be like, hey, here's what's going to happen. We're Quentin Tarantinoing this for you, you know. Yeah. Here's you know what's going to happen. Here's the lead up to it. Now, the thing that I think is super interesting with this, and I don't know if it's true or not, but when Alan first comes back to Ruth, he came back because neighbors heard gunshots and yeah. he wanted to come check on her. So I this kind of ties into a couple of mine, I guess, but I'm wondering that if the gunshots that he heard or that the neighbors heard were the gunshots that actually killed him in the future. I think it's supposed to be just that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I'm confused as hell because he talked like and he told Henry the same thing. He told Henry the exact same story. And you know, and then he and Ruth, you know, kind of, you know, relived that whenever he asked her, I was like, do you remember what I said when, or what you said when I came back? And she repeated it back to him. And, um, I think if I recall correctly that he told Henry, you know, I heard gunshots and, uh, you know, uh, some, some more stuff. I can't remember for the dialogue, but he says, you know, your mom opens the door and wasn't she covered in blood? Oh, that I don't remember if. If he said that or not, because when she showed up, she was all clean and very like in the mem. In the, yes, yeah. in this memory, like as she's going back to this memory, she is cleaned up. But I thought when Alan was telling Henry the story that she was covered in blood, and when she when she answered the door, and yeah, then this time sense. she changed things because after I, it happened, she showered too. and cleaned up. So yeah. Um, but then that you have to ask the question, was she reliving the memory um, or was she actually there in like a time? If it's time travel, like if you want to screw up like and make a TV show very difficult to follow, time travel is the way to do it. Time travel fucks everything up. I know. I don't even – my head hurts so bad from trying to think of it because I cannot wrap my brain around how it makes sense. But I don't know what else we're supposed to infer with this episode that it has to be in – I don't know how it makes sense, but that's the only thing that makes sense. I just don't know how that it has to be those gunshots mm -hmm. That'd be, that's, that that's killed the way I him. Took it. But they're in the future because, you know, he didn't, he wasn't with her yet when, oh God, <laughs> I don't know. But that's what I'm getting from it. I just can't make it make sense in my head. She's going to like butterfly affect it and like be like, okay. we can't be together and he's going to leave and then all, everything will be right in the world. I know, I know. It was it was awful, but you know there was um, 
so we get yeah she shoots him um and it was horrible but i think that the last little gift that he gave her you know he didn't make a sound he didn't look as if he was suffering i think that he did that on purpose he just went quietly and died peacefully and that was his gift to ruth um because he didn't want her i don't think to like feel bad about yeah. what what she had just done and so and he didn't she didn't want him to think of him in pain or anything like that so he purposely died peacefully if he wasn't any type of pain he didn't show it and it was just really sad you know he's such a beloved character in the whole Stephen King universe and it was kind of sad to see the way he went out but i think that's kind of typical of what we see in other Stephen King works we have all these bigger than life characters, all these beloved characters that you love so much. And then he kills them off. And it's not this big grandiose kind of death. It's just this calm, quiet, almost an afterthought kind of death. Um, and you're like, Oh, what happened? And that's kind of how it felt with Alan Pangborn. So it made me super sad. I really, really love this character. I hope he's not all the way gone because, you know, we had Terry O'Quinn as Warden Lacey in the first Mm -hmm. episode offed himself, like pretty much in the cold open, he offed himself, but we saw him in other um, episodes in like flashbacks and stuff. So I hope that this was not the last time that we see Scott Glenn or Alan Pangborn because he is a joy to watch, especially in this episode. Just fantastic. Yeah, and I usually try to avoid seeing like how many episodes people are in, mainly because like these, like if you saw like, oh, he's in eight episodes, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, he's he's done. Or seven episodes, like, all right, well, he's not going to be in anymore. Yes. It needs to be a hidden part on IMDb. When you're you're looking at IMDb for researching stuff, you're like, oh, why did I have to see? They're only in like six episodes. Yeah, at least while the (laughs) season's going. I mean, once the season's over, like, yeah, go ahead. Because, you know, spoilers are kind of on your own. But as the season's going, they should hide that stuff for sure. I I know. That should be like one of those hidden fonts. Like, you have to highlight it to see it. That (laughs) used to be the old days in in the the forum world. If you wanted to see, they would like black out spoilers. And you had to do like the special highlight (laughs) to to see it. That's what they should Think about IMDb. Get on that shit. Anyway, that's my number three. All right. So my number three, we kind of touched on it a little bit again. Is like my question is, is this time travel? You know, we see her go back. What looks like she goes back in time to see Alan after she had just killed him in the future. Now, was she actually there? Uh, I really want to go back now and see if he mentioned that when he got there the first time she was covered in blood because he did not, like when they had that conversation say anything about blood and he almost left. He almost was like, okay, I just want to check on you. I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. If she was covered in blood, I assume he would be a little bit more like, concerned. Hey, I, yeah, concerned or, you know, let me call somebody. Uh, but there's a, a, just a straight calmness from him in that, that part. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, you know, like you said, will we get more of Alan Pangborn? If she's able to go back in time and actually be there back in time, she can alter the timeline. Now I know, uh, at some point when she was talking to her husband, uh, I think he was the one that said something about like, if you kill, uh, I don't know if it was the main evil, but basically you kill the thing that was the source of all your pain, then everything would be clear. Like that's, I think why she was trying to maybe kill the kid because she was seeing her husband, mm-hmm. but if she's able to actually physically go back in time and kill her husband. Then, you know, she'll be, you know, will all this go away? And then I guess the question is, is, you know, Molly, I think she mentioned like somebody guided her to kill Matthew and she thought it was Henry. What if it wasn't Henry? What if it was actually Ruth? Mm. Um, but That's I'm, interesting. It's, I, I wrote down one part of this where, it's, you know, if we take this from an actual non-supernatural aspect, 
if you could relive like certain moments from your life, like very visibly like that, that I think there's a little bit of a beauty to that. You know, if you go back the first time, like you saw your kid, you know, or the first time you, you know, kissed your loved one or, you know, uh, you know, if you had a loved one that was gone, you could go back and almost see it like an actual movie and actually interact with it. Like there's something beautiful to that. But if it's her going back in time, it's a whole different ball game. And this, you know, season two of Castle Rock is going to kind of go like, you know, back to the future ish. <laughs> back to the future king style. <laughs> I don't know. I I'm I am not sure that she's really. I know that her grandson called her a time walker, and he was like showing her, you know, this video game. But I think that that's kind of what led her to believe and planted that idea in her head that, you know, only time walkers can really kill someone and they're really dead, dead Um, because he, her, and I thought it was interesting when her grandson was like, you know, um, because things don't stay dead. And I think we've heard that before in one of the other episodes, it might've even be Ruth that said it, but um, things don't stay dead. And so she's seeing who she believes to be Matthew. It's the kid, but she's like projecting, whether he's channeling Matthew Deaver or that's just who she's projecting onto the kid um, through her, you know, um, her, her state of mind with her disease. Um, she believes that she has to kill him in order to fix the timeline. And I think that we kind of learn a little bit. I said, so that's why I'm not sure if it's, if it's really time travel because it's like, she can't, she's not able to change anything. Mm-hmm. You well, know, the she conversation can't. she had with Matthew, too, is very much like her having an argument with herself projected through Matthew. Right. So, I don't know. That that definitely goes into... I'm just going to go into my number two if you don't have anything else to... Yeah, go Because we can just keep talking about it, cause, but it leads me into my number two. So, I'll go ahead and start talking about it, and we can keep, keep the conversation. Um, but my number two is Ruth Deaver, a.k.a. The Time Walker. So I've already talked about how amazing Sissy Spacek was and how she brilliantly captured, at least in my opinion, uh, you know, someone that suffers from this horrible disease, uh, what it's kind of like for them and really, really bring some recognition to it. And I thought that was really great. And, you know, she wasn't, she hasn't been really given that much to do throughout the series, but this episode, we really got to see many of those moments of the show. Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, you know, we saw like uh, from the first episode when Henry comes back and she goes off to find some clean sheets for him to stay there. And then, you know, we see she kind of gets lost in a memory and comes back down, remembers, oh, I was supposed to get the sheets. So I really liked how we really got to see a lot of the things that happened from her perspective. And we get to see like along with her fragmented mind, how she's tormented by this disease. And along with that, her journey of the past and the present and how she like literally gets locked in the past. Like she sometimes really kind of gets frozen there and can't get out, um, until she finds her totems. Um, and there were some really good memories, but then there were some really not so great memories. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just like revisiting the past, but it was a past that was a knowing past, like this past like confronted her with with the accumulation of the choices she's made or the choices she didn't make. And she can't redirect any of that. She can't change that. It's like, you know, as she's watching herself pack that suitcase for her yeah. and Henry, and she's quietly pleading with herself, leave him, 
please leave him, but she doesn't. Um, and she, she didn't. And Matthew taunts her with that knowledge. You can't leave because you didn't. Yeah. It's very like 1408 from that, like that movie. That's kind of the gist I got. (sighs) Yes. I mean, it was, it was so heartbreaking. I, that scene just, just, I don't know. It hit, must've hit something with me. Um, seeing that scene and it just really, really got me. And I was just pleading along with her, leave, leave, leave. (laughs) And she, and I, I don't know why she couldn't, I'm curious, why couldn't she, she was so scared to do it. And, you know, Alan was trying to give her a way out. He's like, you know, we don't have to, it's not like we have to stay here in this town and you just leave your husband and cause a scandal and move in with the, with the widowed sheriff. We can, we can go anywhere, just pick a place on the map and we can go anywhere. And she still couldn't do it. I know. Oh my God. And I, I just want to know what was going through her head and why she wasn't able to do it. I mean, I, I get it. Um, but again, I, w- I would love to know what was going through her mind at the time and why she wasn't able to, to finally just do it. And, um, and you could tell that she wanted to, because then again, she, she, it, when she's confronting Matthew in the, in the kitchen and she's like, you know, I'm leaving, I'm taking Henry, my bag is packed. And that's when he's like, nope. You're, you're not going to because you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just so heartbreaking. It just, it killed me. And again, um, about Wendell showing her that video game, I think that's what planted it in her head that she had to kill the kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that that was going to fix the timeline because she's like, well, Matthew didn't stay dead. That's what she told Molly. She's like, well, whatever you did, didn't take because he's, he's still here. Oh, yeah. He's back. And, um, and she thinks because she thinks she's thinks of herself as like a time walker because she keeps going flowing into the past um, that she's going to have to be the one to kill him. And then that will fix everything. I don't know how she thinks it's going to fix it or, or what it will fix exactly. Um, But I just, this whole episode was so beautiful and it was so, it flowed seamlessly. And I think I didn't look to see the, the full running time of this episode, but I think, um, I read that it was the longest episode. It was like 59 minutes because um, I had to stop. So my son's been kind of scared of monsters recently. So about halfway through, Aww. about the time where like they're doing the uh, the ghost or the uh, time walker spot, because I was anticipating a jump scare there. Like, you know, it's like one mm-hmm. of those uh, Pokemon Go games and he's going to yeah. like, go over somewhere and there's going to be like a ghost. So I had to go and check on my kid. Because he was crying, hung out with him for a little bit, left, started watching or started getting something ready. He started crying again, walked in, and he was standing in his doorway all creepy like. So it gave me a nice little <laughs> Dude, startle. He, he was pulling the creepy kid. Yeah. Because <laughs> he kind of was crying and stopped. I was like, well, that's weird. And I walked in, he's just standing there in the doorway with his passy and his bear. I was like, oh, crap. Aww. All right, well, you're going to go lay down with mom now. <laughs> go away, creepy kid. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do. Why are you doing this to me? I'm watching a Stephen King <laughs> show. This is not where you want to be. Um, oh my goodness! This this it was so beautiful. This whole episode, like I said, so such a great episode. Just in general, with you know, I used to remember a couple of episodes in the early a couple seasons of Lost that were just beautiful, uh, like that, and and that's what it kind of reminded me of a little bit um a couple things that i did note that was interesting as, she, as you know as we're talking about ruth flowing from time to time in the past and she i was kind of confused and i don't really know what it means did you notice how she would lock eyes like the ruth that was in the memory like yeah, yeah. when she was reading to henry uh, a young henry on the couch um that 
she looked up from the couch and saw a present Ruth in the doorway and they kind of smiled. Yeah, it was interesting because in each of those things, she she appeared to be older too. Like the, I think there's only two times where she appeared younger. It was one when she was a little kid mm-hmm. and the other was in a, a shot where you see her in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And in the mirror, she was younger, but when it panned out to her talking to um, Henry, it was her at her current age. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's any meaning there or not, but it's just kind of interesting. I I I don't know if I think we're supposed to kind of just figure that out or make up our own, but I I, I think it's kind of to help us anchor us a little bit in the story. Like even though we're seeing the, this technically should have been you know a young Ruth Deaver in the tub you know, talking with Henry and reading to him on the couch and things like that. But I think there was something that we're supposed to get out of the fact that we see like present day Ruth. I'm not really quite sure yet, but I think I liked it. I I liked it a lot better that way. Um, And it wasn't really that confusing for me or anything. I kind of liked it, but I don't really know what the hell it meant. Um, Well, it's interesting too, because at times she was watching the events and other times she was acting in the events. So mm -hmm. I don't know what that means either. I know. Yeah, because like at the picnic when they're walking out in the Mm -hmm. woods and, you know, it's not something she's, um, I guess she's kind of watching, but she's also participating, you know, um, in that scene. And then, yeah, like the other, she's just kind of watching and it's like, as she's walking in and out, placing her totems Yeah, yeah, is what it kind of seemed like. Cause she's placing her totems and she's kind of seeing that. Um, and, and talking of the, these totems, the placement of the chess pieces, did that seem kind of strange to you? The locations and the places that she put these totems because she, I don't have all of them named off the top of my head. I'm, I was so enraptured in the, in the, all the scenes in this, the, you know, the whole episode was so beautiful. I didn't write them all down, but she like put one on the top of a door frame. Uh, she put one in the china cabinet. She put one in the medicine cabinet. I thought she put one in the freezer, but I might just be making that up in my head. Yeah, um, or the refrigerator. Fridge, yeah. yeah, the refrigerator. Um, so these aren't really common places that like you'd set something like that. Like you think you'd set it up on a, on a table or mm. like a mantle or just somewhere that you would, that you'd think that you'd see it. But it seems like maybe it's like she knew she would be there at some point that she, when she got swept up in her memories again, and she would know exactly where to find it or that she would see it there. Cause she remembers like reliving it. Like when she was standing in front of the refrigerator and with it open and she sees the totem that's when Henry right after Wendell shows up, Henry's making lunch for his son. It's like she knew that she was going to be standing back there in that refrigerator again. Like she'd already experienced it once. She knew she'd be there again. So she put that in the refrigerator. So I just thought that was kind of interesting and just not typical. I mean, she put one in her pocket. That's pretty common. You know, you feel it, you'd have the weight of it. You could reach in and grab it at any time, you know, and feel it there and it could anchor you. But I just thought that was kind of, I don't know, interesting. That was a really long number two. <laughs> well, uh, my number two we touched on, which was the uh, the roof touching the the kid. So I know you already had a long number two, but Remo, what is your number one? My number one. I'm going to keep this one kind of short because I, but I have a lot of notes to make up for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so really, my number one is just this big question that I have: like, what's next? Which I don't have an answer to. It's just more questions. Um, Warden Lacey. In one of the 
earlier episodes and I don't, I didn't have it written down. So I don't know. It was like episode two or three. I think when he mentioned in his letter that Alan might be Castle Rock's last hope. Mm. Now, uh, Alan is gone. The hope is gone. So who do we think is going to, in his place, step up and protect Castle Rock or do what needs to be done to protect Castle Rock? It's like everybody's kind of all crazed in their own space. Like Henry's stuck out doing this weird thing and he's kind of in his own head and Molly's kind of wrapped up in what Henry's doing and poor Ruth is, you know, a prisoner of her own mind, it seems. And I mean, who, who's left really to, you know, is this going to, is this, is his death going to like snap him out of it and bring them all back and reel them in and be like, Oh shit, you know, this, what the hell happened? And, and, you know, he's not here to do it. Who, who will? So that didn't have a lot to go on, but it's just like, will that be what motivates everyone? You know, Henry and Molly. What's intriguing about this too. Like, you know, they talked about Castle Rock kind of being, independent of like season two will be some kind of different story. Yep. So we have three episodes to wrap all this up, <sighs> which is, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're just learning what this kid is like capable of. Um, I mean, you've got to find out what he is and you know, the next episode, the episode after then you, then you're done, then you're finishing it. So, mm-hmm. um, oh, it's so, so intriguing. I know. Yeah. We're, I don't know. I, I bet that we'll have some of these characters probably referenced and they'll probably get some mentions um, just because that's what we find a lot in the Stephen King universe. And there's always lots of Easter eggs and callbacks to, you know, Stephen King and stuff um, and his works in this. So I'm sure we'll hear something, but it is an anthology. It is a whole new story. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. So, I'm just, it's all questions. I always just have more questions than I have anything um, out of here. But what's your number one? Help help me bring it home, Sean. Help me out here. So my number one is simply, Ruth's got a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, again, I kind of talked a little bit about it, but we instantly see at the very beginning of this episode, it's like the shotgun. You know, we saw it at the very beginning, so... You don't show it unless you're going to use it. And exactly. Unfortunately, it was used. Um, this was the focal point of pretty much the whole episode. You know, it was hidden up there. It played a couple different parts too, because Matthew went out in the woods. Um, he was going to have a suicide picnic, uh, which I thought would be an awesome name for like a metal band's like CD uh, suicide picnic, or maybe a band name. Maybe that should be a band name. Oh, that's messed up, Sean. <laughs> dark (laughs) it was like suicidal tendencies and stuff like that so yeah it's close um but it's you know it was a big part in this and then you know the whole episode she's trying to figure out how to get the ammo and you know it's one of those things that you would think a a person with this type of uh, alzheimer or this like condition would have a very very difficult time to to remember what she did with that ammo 20 years ago Mm -hmm. but in seeing these past events it snapped and clicked and it's like oh my gosh it's here and the dog was digging it up too, which that dog wasn't even actually there. I know. Which again is just a whole like craziness of this episode. Um, I mean, is it safe to say like, did this even happen? You know, are we going to get to a spot in this episode where this didn't actually occur? You know, because the dog was there. But it was there but, and then it wasn't. Yeah. So was Alan there, but he actually wasn't, you know, just... Uh, lots of stuff. And I guess you have to ask the question, you know, maybe these are multiple timelines because 
we saw like the, I, I just remember this. They showed the dog get run over, and she had a line where she says like, you know, she's a bitch. She's not a son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like, is the dog digging that thing up? Is that an alternate timeline where the dog is still alive? I, again, more questions than answers, but I don't know. And there was more than one dog. I mean, there was the dog Puck, mm-hmm. uh, Henry's dog when he was little, and then there was the neighborhood dog, and they appeared yep. to be like the same kind of they, dog. Yeah, they look pretty similar. I mean, they were both looked to be German Shepherd dogs, and you know, I got kind of confused sometimes. I'm like, okay, is that supposed to be Puck, or is that like that neighbor dog that she or the neighborhood stray that you know she was taking care of and feeding, which. I'm not even going to talk about that damn scene. You already talked about it where that dog got hit and Alan had to go out and put it out of his mouth. That, oh my God, to start off, you know, that was pretty early on in this, in this episode because that was when he gave her the chess pieces and she's getting ready to make dinner and he, you know, takes a knife and goes outside and she follows and I was just, ugh, I just can't handle that shit at all. That put me in a bad head head space. I've, I've never had to be in a situation where it's like, Oh, I've got to put my pet out of its misery. And I hope I never have to be because it's not to get too sad about that, but it's one of those things like the animal has no idea why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's last like stuff is you hurting it. Like, Oh, that just breaks my heart to think about. So now I'm gonna have to hug each one of my pets tonight. And I know. Them all very close. That's what I did. I was like crying. Like I'm, I'm b- barely five ten minutes in this episode, and Alan Pangborn is putting this up. Which I'm in total. You know, I mean, it's far better if this. There's no way to to fix the animal, you know, and it's beyond any kind of help. Then I would rather it be put down peacefully than having to suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't like that at all, but um, you know, still having to think about it is just terrible. And just, you know, I've had lots of pets over the years and lots of, I've lost them in all different circumstances over the years and it's terrible. And I'm a big pet person and I'm bawling my eyes out. And my dogs are just looking at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I just, you know, I'm like hugging them and squeezing them. <laughs> and they're just like, mom, you're acting really weird. Um, get away from us. So I was doing the exact same thing and watching it again. I had, I knew it was coming the second time I watched that close my eyes. Um, and my dogs still think I'm weird. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they lick their privates and whatnot. So they're kind of weird too. They do. Yeah, they do. They, they enjoy that. <laughs> All right. They, I know I'd, I'd make them quit. Make well, them quit. my dog will sit on our bed, lick his paw. And so then when I get in bed, there'll be a huge wet spot. And it's like, yeah. oh, dude. <laughs> yep um darn dogs anyway but we we pretty much touched on everything i had i know you said you had a bunch of notes so what are some of your notes <sighs> i have some notes god i have notes okay so a couple of these are observations some are notes some are some interesting things that i came across so um you mentioned a young Ruth in the episode. Did you know that the actress playing young Ruth was Skylar Fisk, who is Sissy SpaceX's daughter? Oh, that's awesome. In real life. I did not. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah, super cool. Um, I, I kind of thought there was a little bit of a resemblance from the first time I saw her, but I mean, you know, I didn't dig too deep into it because, hey, there's lots of people out there that kind of, you know, like favor each yeah. other and make sense to try to find an actress, right? That looks like her so you kind of believe that's her in the past but that's legit her daughter in real life so I thought that was super cool um I definitely had a 
a whole pet cemetery feel from this whole episode. Yeah, I did too. You know, the the dog being buried, the dog not quite being dead. The whole thought of like um Matthew Deaver not quite being dead, like we said, um what it things don't stay dead. I know I'm not saying that uh, verbatim, but that was kind of what what keeps coming back um in the, in the theme of this series a couple episodes in a row. Um the foreshadowing there was a lot of foreshadowing and symbolism in this damn episode and foreshadowing when, well, we just talked about that scene when Ruth is getting ready to make dinner. Alan's in there and he's grabbing that knife and he's like, Hey, I'll be right back. Mm. And he said, set, set up those chessmen. I'll let you slaughter me after dinner. I thought that was such foreshadowing in that moment. Cause oh, she, yeah. she does slaughter him later. Um, we still didn't get to hear the words that the neurologist asked her to repeat. I thought we were going to get it this time because we didn't in the last episode. And I know I mentioned it before. I'm like, oh, we didn't get to hear, you know, the words that that they asked her to repeat. Um, and we didn't get it again this episode because Henry had to repeat words and then the kid had to repeat words. Family was one of the words. And I think church was the other one. So I'm I'm still waiting to hear those words that Ruth is being asked to repeat. I thought it was interesting. Ruth was reading Hansel and Gretel to Henry, and that is another story of someone or characters using breadcrumbs to find their way home. Mm. Um, bad preacher. Uh, I like that we got a little bit more insight because Henry doesn't remember his his father prior to his disappearance. And I think that we've speculated a little bit that Matthew Deaver was not such a nice guy. And especially when Molly is telling Henry in that last episode, um, you know, hey, you hated your dad. You wanted him dead. And he's just completely horrified by that thought. And I think we're seeing a little insight as to why he might have hated his dad and why he was such a bad guy. Uh, We found out he had a brain tumor, you know, that was cut out and that he tried to kill himself. And then that's when he heard um, what he thinks or what he calls the voice of God. Um, I re- <laughs> really liked the scene where Ruth was making sexy eyes to Alan in church while her husband's up oh, there yeah. preaching. <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of stops, close the book. I mean, I thought, Ruth, you were such a badass. Fuck that guy. Well, it was old <laughs> Ruth, too, with young, uh, young Alan. I know. I love that. I was like, go Ruth. Fuck that guy up there at the podium. <laughs> He's an asshole. Get it on with Alan Pangborn over there. He's a, a hot guy and he don't seem to have a stick up his ass like Matthew Deaver does. Um, I also liked, uh, so I talked a little bit about all the foreshadowing in this episode, but also the symbolism. So I think that there was some symbolism. Did you catch... The very last scene, whenever uh, Ruth comes down the stairs and she answers the door and it's uh, Alan. And that's when we know that he has come back to Castle Rock. And, you know, um, that's when she's telling him not to leave. Did you see the chess pieces on the, the table next to the stairs? It, there was a, a queen and a knight. And I think that was representation. I think the queen in this episode is Ruth Deaver symbolism of the queen chess mm. piece. I think Alan Pangborn was um, symbolized by the knight chess piece because he, you know, knights are defenders mm-hmm. and Alan Pangborn was called the defender of castle rock. Oh yeah. Good call. And then 
I think the king, I kept seeing the red king. I think the red king was represented by Matthew Deaver. Um, cause I kept seeing that red king chess piece pop mm. up whenever well, Matthew up. Deaver I was saw around. It outside very prominently when she was kind of looking for puck or puck. Yes. And you saw it sitting there on that fence post. Yeah. I saw it and I'm like, okay, red king. I'm like, wait, we've talked about that before. And I'm like, Crimson King. Crimson King. Yeah. Yes, that's where I was going with that as well. Because it seems like Matthew's memories were marked by the opposing Red King. And then Alan was her knight. And yes, with that being the Red King, I also thought, holy shitballs, could this also be like a Crimson King mm. reference? I don't know. I'm just... I, I, I started paying attention the second time around. The first time it was like so my head was just all over the place. Um, but the second time around, I thought you got to pay attention to those chess pieces. Cause they're, they're clearly, um, there's something to them where she's putting them and the exact chess pieces that she's, that we see throughout the episode. So that's what I caught up on. And the very last note that I have, the very last scene, whenever she goes up to the house, she takes her shower, uh, puts on her clean clothes through this whole sequence into the whole, a music sequence that's playing uh, between while her and Alan are having their dialogue as, as to why he returned. Um, this was this music. Um, this song was written by composer Max Richter. He also does the score for the leftovers and I think a few others, but this song was also used in arrival. I don't know if you saw arrival or not with Amy Adams. I haven't. I've, I've wanted to, but yeah, I haven't seen it yet. You should watch it. It's really great. And this was such a sad, dramatic song. I mean, I just bawled like a baby and I don't know if it was so much the music or if it was just the scene in itself. I was crying just about an hour ago after I finished my second watch. It was just beautiful. And I thought it was really worth mentioning because I thought it was, it was great. So that's, all my notes. I think I'm finally done. Did you have any notes? I did. I think you touched on everything. But yeah, this was a really, <laughs> it was a, such a good episode. And it's definitely one of those I'm going to sit back and watch again. Like this to me is one of those episodes that, you know, if you're, you know, after we watch this whole season one, you know, and it's a, a winter evening or something and you're stuck at home, it's like, you know, I'm just, I just kind of in the mood for this episode. And you could just watch this one episode from the season yeah. um, and get just a, a really, good just I guess episode watching experience from it I know and even though it was like one of the longer episodes of the series so far or the longest I guess so far of the the series it didn't feel like it I mean it did yeah I mean they packed a lot in this episode but yeah it did not feel like I'm like oh god okay is it there's 20 minutes left okay it you know it just was like done I know. And uh, we, we talk about that pretty much every episode that we discuss that it, it, you're like, holy shit, there's only a few minutes left because mm-hmm. it just feels like it flies by. And even though this was a long episode by time standards, it didn't feel that way. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat. I was engaged fully, you know, what's happening next. And, um, and even the second time around, even, you know, having watched it once, I still felt the same way that this did not drag on. They, they do such a great job, I think, with the pacing of this. I know that there's been an episode or two that felt a little slow you know, in, in the middle and we didn't get a whole lot, but, um, it still didn't feel like it was long episodes and this one included. So yeah, a rewatch is in, in need whenever it's over. Okay. Well, if that's all of our notes and concludes our top five, that leads us into the news for the week. Sean, you want to take this first one? Yeah. So our first one comes from the Hollywood reporter and it's an interview with Sam Shaw, the co-creator and showrunner. So the question asked is, how was it decided to kill off Alan Pangborn, especially in this manner? We didn't take it lightly. 
what is it to put a period at the end of the story of this iconic character who readers love? It was very difficult. In a way, the aspect of the story that felt most right to us was that Alan Pinkborn is such a gunslinger within the world of the Stephen King Library. He's such a knight or a hero that I think we never would have had the temerity to kill him off at the hands of a villain or a monster in the course of the story. I'll leave it to the audience to come to their own conclusion about how they want to read the story and whether The Queen is a story about supernatural intervention, whether it's a story about a woman who is a time traveler in some kind of uncanny way, whether it's a story about a couple that are in a state of denial and they don't want to reckon with Roos dementia that sort of go against medical advice. However you read it or interpret it, it felt to us like the ending that honored the legacy of this character is the one that involves love, a different kind of love story between these two characters than what you usually get to see on TV. We cared enormously about these two and about the relationship. So what conversations did you have with Stephen King about killing off Alan? It was really important to us to reach out and be sure that he was comfortable with the choice that we were making, and I'm gratified to say that we were really happy that he sanctioned the choice. We understand this is a character who means a lot to Steve. It means a lot to his readers. He's a character that we care about very deeply. We were nervous to put the request in, much as chess pieces serve as anchors for Ruth in terms of sorting out her time and place, Sissy Speck serves as the viewer's anchor through the hour. Even though we are jumping around throughout her life, the different actors playing younger versions of the same character, it's always Sissy playing Ruth. Did you feel it was important for such a narrative, complex story to have one thing to ground the viewer, and that one thing was going to be Sissy Speck? So absolutely, there's two pieces to that. One of them is, when you have an actor as extraordinary as Sissy, you want her in every frame of the story. You know what I mean? We wanted to give Sissy the opportunity to play herself at all these different stages of her life, which sort of raised some interesting storytelling and aesthetic questions. Oddly, I think the kind of great touchstone and proving ground that says that you can construct a story is this way is Quantum Leap, which Scott Bakula is always Scott Bakula. So the idea is here's this woman who is involved in her own invisible battle throughout the season, which is this battle and struggle with dementia. It's sort of happening at the margins of our story. In fact, we may sort of discount her point of view as a character because she seems a little bit disconnected from reality. Part of a kernel of an idea was, what if her experiences is not an experience of dementia or dimension? It's not that her world is thinner. It's that she's crowded out by memories, that the past is sort of alive for her in a really immediate and visceral way, which is different from the way that memories are alive for the rest of the characters in our story. Oh, that's interesting. He uses yeah, like, some very interesting words in that in that interview. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of like where you talk about like, uh, did you ever watch Quantum Leap? Grow, when I it was on? loved Quantum Leap. I am a huge fan of Quantum Leap as well. Yes, and uh, it is it is interesting. Like Scott Bakula always plays the same character. Like he doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, when he plays a woman, he doesn't act like a woman. It's it's him playing the character exactly. Um, so that's a pretty cool uh, uh, way to think of it. Yeah, I liked that reference because I thought, oh my God, I love Scott Bakula. And a really good point because we always saw whoever he was supposed to be at that time, we saw Scott Bakula. We didn't Mm -hmm. see, you know, that character that he was supposed to be or that person. So super cool. Take with that what you will. Make your own choices uh, as to what this whole story meant, folks. And 
what it meant. Um, the next one that we have is from vulture.com. This was taken from an interview with Sissy Spacek. So first question, how far in advance did you know this episode was coming? Did they tell you it was building to episode seven? She says, this was the carrot that they dangled. It was the character of Ruth Deaver that intrigued me. They said that she's living a horror within a horror. How does the real true horror of what's happening to her mind compare to the horror that's happening in the town of Castle Rock? That was the thing that made me want to do it. Next question. What was the most difficult part of capturing Ruth's dementia? As an actress, aren't you trained to know where your character is and what she wants in any moment? But you have to throw that away here. How difficult is that as a performer? She says, well, I haven't seen the whole thing, so I don't know if I pulled it off. <laughs> and the challenge was actually getting this little southern tongue of mine to behave and do a main accent. Because of that, I had to work diligently on the scenes. As soon as I get them, I work on the dialect. And then it's unbelievable what you can find on the internet in terms of dementia. Real family and what they've been through. Quite frankly, dementia patients and Alzheimer's patients manifest the illness in different ways. There are similarities. There's a lot of fear that permeates. Everything becomes heightened for her. It's heartbreaking. Uh, let's talk some more about one of your co-stars, Scott Glenn. Your dynamic with him is so important to how this episode plays out. What did he bring that other actors wouldn't have brought? She says, I don't know how to answer that exactly, what anyone else would have brought. But to me, he was Pangborn. I've known Scott for 40 years, and my husband worked with him as a PA on their first film six or seven years before Jack and I met. And we worked together on a film called The River. He and his wife, Carol, and his teenage daughters. I was there with Jack and our 11-month-old daughter, Skylar. So we've had this long friendship. Five or 10 years will go by, and then we'll catch up with each other. He's been with his wife for 50 years, so he obviously understands that kind of devotion, and I do as well. We had such fun working together. All of these actors are at the top of their game. Next question is, how, have you kept up with Stephen King's work since Carrie? Why do you think people love it so much? She says, as a reader, as a storyteller, you trust his stories. He's got one foot in reality and one foot in the stars. It's psychological and it's character driven. One of the things that's so good about Castle Rock is it captures that spooky kind of thing that's elusive. It's hard to describe. Our emotions, our fears, and then somehow they get humor in there. Also, he knows who we know. He's that great writer that has been plopped down during our lifetime. He's part of our culture. We know him. We feel safe with him, even though he scares us. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's some of the Easter eggs from Vulture.com. So the Crimson King. So another episode light on explicit references. The Queen still contains a few thematic, or thematic nods to King's work without being too overt about it. As reader Nathan Bernhardt pointed out on Twitter, it's likely not a coincidence that the chess piece that Ruth Deaver uses to anchor herself in time and space are not black and white, but red and white. It allows for several shots of a red or crimson king, and anyone who has read the Dark Tower saga knows the importance of that epic villain. Mm -hmm. We got Gerald's Game. So the dog that seems to be haunting Ruth Deaver has drawn allusions to Cujo and Pet Cemetery in past episodes, but when Ruth awakens to find the dog sitting on her bed and her hand bloodied, it's impossible not to think of the heroine of Gerald's Game. She, too, was stuck in a bed with a dog in the room and horrifically mangled hand. And then we have Elvis the King Presley. So with all the versions of Blue Moon to choose from, it is truly just coincidence. Is it truly just a coincidence that the creators of Castle Rock went with the one by Elvis Presley, aka The King? Perhaps, but it could be a thematic call to the chess piece that is the Ruth's fractured mind together, not to mention the surname of the man who created this world in the first place. Yep, that might be a little bit of a stretch, but I'll I'll take it. I like yep. it. 
That's awesome. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot. I don't know. Um, I can't remember, Sean. Did you watch the new uh, version of Gerald's Game, the new one that they did on Netflix? I haven't yet. Yeah, it's one of those that I really wanted to see. But well, with Netflix shows, and shows like, you see like a bunch of trailers like, oh, I really need to watch that. But mm-hmm. if you don't watch it in the first month, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot that's out there. I know. You kind of forget because so much new content. I mean, holy shit balls! Netflix just has like constant new content all the time on their home page. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been, I think, February. Of, um, earlier this year was when Gerald's game came out. Um, but I watched it the weekend that it came out and I remember, uh, reading the book, uh, loved it, thought it was fantastic. And man, Netflix knocked this version out of the park. It was awesome. really good. I highly recommend it. So, you know, um, whenever your kiddo's asleep, because the, this got some spooky moments, um, yeah. in there. So make sure your kid is in bed and make sure he stays in bed. Um, <laughs> And check that out for sure. And I recommend anyone else, um, of course, watch it too. It was it was really great. Um, so now we come to one of my favorite parts of the podcast, and that's our letters from Shawshank Prison. We love to hear from all of our prisoners uh, locked away down in their hole um, and sharing. I'm just, I'm just glad they can still get the podcast. <laughs> I know. Isn't that great? Um, however you're getting our podcast, we're, we're thankful that you're able to receive it in Shawshank and listen to us. <laughs> smuggled um, in iPhones. That's what it is. Smuggled in, uh, whatever your device is. Maybe they've got an Alexa that plays it. Cause we, you know, you can find us on Alexa too, people. Um, <laughs> maybe they've got an Alexa that they play over the loudspeaker and, uh, maybe it's torture. Maybe they torture us with it. <laughs> Maybe they're like, for all you assholes in solitary, this is your torture. Um, Listen to Strange Indeed. Um, The first one is from uh, Maureen Favo. This episode was so enlightening as well as heartbreaking. Glad we saw Pangborn do some magic. It was fun to connect the dots of Ruth's reactions throughout the season so far. Surprised there was not uh, one connected to her jumping off the bridge about halfway through. I thought there would be. Right? Did you? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Because they showed it during like the previously seen before the episode started mm-hmm. her jumping off that bridge and we know that she saw the dog remember she saw the dog in the crowd as alan's giving his speech and then she jumps and so i don't know that i made that connection did you did you get why now that we've no, seen this episode does that make I, any more sense I, to you i feel like they probably had to have that written in there maybe they cut it because the episode was so long but yeah that seems like there's and maybe we'll get that later but it seems like there should have been something there of why she left and jumped Right. Because there was the dog. It looked like a German shepherd, looked like mm-hmm. the, the dogs that were in this episode. But I'm not quite sure why that drove her to jump off the bridge. Yeah. When she mentioned the damn dog, too, when she was in the hospital. So, yeah, I thought she did anyway. Hmm. Yes, you're right. So I don't know. I'm still not quite clear on that uh, myself, but it's a uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out later. So this one comes from Avelina Rochino. So I love this episode. The time-traveling perspective of a woman suffering from Alzheimer's was original, scary, and depressing. She was caught in different moments in time, leading to her confusion and shooting Pangborn. So is this the awakening evil manipulating events and killing off every character that can possibly oppose it? Is Pangborn dead? Sissy Speck's acting is off the charts. I also love the music of this episode. I did too. Read. I'm going to go in the camp that I think Pangborn's dead. I think he is, but I think that even though he's dead, which Warden Lacey is dead, but we mm-hmm. keep kind of seeing him pop up. So I'm hoping that we'll see um, Alan pop up as well in some form because not only is he a beloved character, but love Scott Glenn, damn it. Yeah. I'm just never going to stop talking about him. Um, 
Next one's from Laura Willie Swink. Sissy Spacek is an American treasure. She was amazing. And just like Ruth explained to Wendell, most people move forward like the people movers in the airport. But in this episode, we as viewers got to get off with Ruth and run around in her circles of time. Was it Ruth trying to navigate her way out of her dementia? Or is she a true time walker like Wendell said? I love that we don't know for sure, but I think I'm leaning towards Time Walker. At least that's what I hope for, so maybe Ruth can turn back time. Because this episode had a heartbreaking ending, just not the ending we thought. In the end, the queen is standing and her knight has fallen. Rest in peace, Sheriff Pangborn. Oh, uh, if she could turn back time. <laughs> if she can find a way. Oh, my word. <laughs> Jeff Allen, so it's no coincidence that we see a blood-soaked sissy speck take off her clothes while we focus on her feet and get in the bath. Immediate flashback to 32 years ago. She hands down just one an Emmy with this episode. Also, fantastic Hitchcock psycho homage, but with the victim getting the upper hand this time around. Yeah, that definitely had a really great psycho um, feel with her standing behind the shower curtain with the kid mm-hmm. lurking and finding her. Um, and then, yeah, I think I think I read and there was a lot of that interview with the showrunner. I did not grab everything because we'd be here all day. Um, but I think that he mentioned that it could have possibly been a little homage to um, Carrie with mm, yeah. Sissy Spacek in the shower where you see the the blood mixing with the with the water. Um, Which is going such down the a drain. really cool shot. Yeah. Like just the way like it, you see it kind of like it clears, it comes back, clears, comes back. It's just a very unsettling, creepy, but really good shot, I think. Yeah, that was that was super cool. And I think a little, you know, because, God, she's Sissy Spacek is a, is a treasure. She'll, she'll mm-hmm. always be our Carrie, but, man, she's really knocking new, Ruth Deaver um, out of the park. Um, so we had a comment on Twitter that I thought was super interesting. This is from um, at Anna Esky. She says, OMG, the episode seven of Castle Rock. It's one of my favorites by far. And what an amazing performance by Sissy Spacek. I agree. And we got an email. So I don't usually email podcasts that I listen to. But I have to say, this is one of the best episodes of a TV series that I've seen in a while. The entire episode had me at the edge of my seat, and the ending was wonderful. I felt so bad for Ruth, I couldn't imagine going through something like that. I want to go back to the beginning just to watch those scenes from this episode. And this was from Harvey, and I completely agree. Like, I feel like again, if you got the time, Harvey, and you got the software, if you could edit this episode into the previous episodes and send that our way, that would be awesome. That'd be amazing. Um... Well, thanks for emailing Harvey. You said that you don't normally email podcasts that you listen to. So thanks for making us one of them. And don't be a stranger. Keep emailing us or send us a voicemail or um, go like our Facebook page um, and leave us some feedback on there um, as well. Go like our Instagram page, follow us on Twitter, so on and so forth. Um, we also have um, some voicemails this week as well. First one that we have is from Pake Allen. Hey, Pake, can't wait to hear what you say, have to say. Rima and Sean, hey, this is this is Pake from Texas. And um, I'm recording this literally like the episode just ended. And I figured first impression, first response kind of review would be the best way to go. But I'm having a lot of trouble finding words. Um I don't feel well. I don't feel well at all. Aww. This episode was rough. It was. It's one of those where the the creepy moments were unbearably just made me feel so uneasy and so 
I don't know what it is about this show that just gets me to the core like that. And I, and then with the ending and everything, this is the first episode that I just sat through the entire credits afterwards and just mm. let a lot of different emotions kind of flood over me. And it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was rough and it was weird. And as much as I kind of hate it, I also, I love that we can have a show that can do that to me that will, you know, that'll affect me in that way. And so kudos for that to, to all of the writers and showrunners and actors, especially Sissy Spacek. Oh my God, Mm -hmm. this episode was just a beautiful tragedy looking into her mind and her, her, her battle with it. And Wow, I just, I don't even know. And there's still so many questions as far as how the kid knows all of these things about her and her husband and her family. And I feel like as much, as as deep as this episode was, it should have given us more answers, but it really just gave us more questions. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be rambling on at this point. (laughs) I can't really go any much longer with this recording, but... But yeah, um, I'm glad I'm finally caught up to the podcast and the show week to week so I can leave some feedback for you guys. Uh, hope it was worth anything. <laughs> I'm sorry, my mind is frazzled right now, but I figured <laughs> this would be the best way to really show me and what I thought of the episode. So yeah, there's that. One other thing I'll just call out now that I'm just kind of gathering things together. The Easter egg, I guess, the main one around this episode was very... Gerald's game to me there was a lot of things mm-hmm. that were very closely related to that and I won't get into the specifics in case there's anybody who has not seen that yet it's on Netflix go watch it if you haven't it's real fucking uneasy and creepy just as well but mm-hmm. I, I think that was really the big tie in with this episode was the uneasiness and a lot of the same themes and ideas as that one but but yeah I've gone away too long now it's like three minutes so uh <laughs> Good job with the podcast, and good job with choosing such an amazing cerebral show. So, yeah. Uh, bye. Oh, that was awesome. I, I think calling it a beautiful tragedy is the I, almost perfect way to uh, describe this episode. I totally agree that, yeah, and thank you, Pake, for being so genuine in, in your feelings and your emotions, and I think it was wonderful that you, you know, made that you know voice recording you know fresh off of watching it and that you know you're not alone in you know feeling frazzled I feel like I have you know more questions and what I have any answers and I, I hope no one hates me too much for not ha- helping really figure a whole lot out I really don't feel like I've given much insight to this episode and you know helping trying to figure it out because I'm just as confused and I have just as many questions but I still enjoyed, you know, talking about it. So I appreciate um, your genuine emotions with that. And you're definitely not alone. And thank you so much for sharing. I'm glad you're caught up. Don't let that be your last uh, feedback, man. Yeah, and there's no time limit on phone calls. So I mean, if you want to go for three minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, uh, you know, I do, we do reserve the right to edit it. So give us a <laughs> lot of content over an hour. You, you might be like, I don't remember saying that Sean was the greatest person in the world, but it, it could happen. Yeah. Or, or, you know, me, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, um, yeah, we, we do reserve the right to edit it down a little bit, but if you want to talk about it that much, go get your own podcast. Okay. I'm just gonna, <laughs> just gonna-
gonna say that um that was great peg thank you so so much i love everything that you have to say and uh go texas right um okay so this next one that we have is from steve brown hey Raymond sean it's steve from oklahoma and got some thoughts on uh, castle rock episode seven the queen uh loved that uh, when sissy's basic comes to the door and says when are we to uh mm-hmm. molly thought that was great um this is a wonderful, this is like a stream of consciousness episode we get, but it's from the perspective of Ruth Deaver in all of her uh, dementia um, or time walking, which uh, whichever one really is. Um, did she really shoot Alan? It seemed to think that uh, in the inside of the episode after, they seemed to indicate that, that that really is, that was the present when she got the bullets and shot Alan. So I guess we'll find out in the next the next episode. Um, I can't believe Wendell just left. That was surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and finding out that Matthew had some kind of a, a brain tumor or something like that uh, seemed kind of interesting as well. Um, love, love, love. Got the feels at the very end both times watching it when uh, uh, they embrace and she says, don't leave. Because uh, ultimately this is just a, this is a love story. Yep. From her perspective and uh, um, can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. Oh, Steve, that was so good. Thank you. That's a good call on the window one. Like that was kind of odd where he's like, you know what? She's like, oh, you know, I haven't bought you any Christmas or birthday presents. Like go to the mall at 11 o'clock at night and <laughs> buy stuff. Yeah. Nothing suspicious is happening here at all. <laughs> um, everything's good. It, well, at least we did. And I f- completely forgot to touch on that. It was that was one of our questions from last week is like, where the hell did oh, yeah, Wendell exactly. go? Because we have, you know, the kid bleeding out on the front step. Alan comes home. Uh, Ruth is gone. And and we know that, you know, we last saw them together there at the house, Ruth and Wendell. And I remember we were like, where the hell did Wendell go? All this, ca- And it appeared to be complete chaos, you know, there at the house. We saw the, the mess in the kitchen and, um, you know, well, where the heck was, was Wendell during all of this stuff? So um, we did at least get that. Um, that answered for us. But yeah, uh, such an emotional episode. I think from everyone, it it wasn't just us, I guess, that had that emotion. It was such, you know, I've enjoyed so much seeing the story of Ruth and Alan Pingborn during this whole series. I hope we still, you know, we still got a couple more episodes. I hope, you know, we were somehow maybe in the past, it was so beautiful to see some of this too, like that beautiful moment that they had together, um, mm-hmm. like that pillow talk moment and he's showing her that oh, little yeah. magic trick and he like um, pinches her butt or something. I like. know. Like I think he palms her back cause he's kidding about the palming <laughs> and he's like, you know, she's like, no, no palm. And I think he's, you know, just you know, teasing her in a sweet way, you know, the way that couples do and lovers do. Um, so I thought that was really sweet and it was so goddamn heartbreaking. Um, so yeah, it was beautiful. Thank you everyone so much. Everyone had such great feedback. We've gotten uh you know so so much feedback from everyone on the Facebook page and Twitter. Um really great emails and voicemails. Um and I really do appreciate everyone taking the time. I love hearing everyone's insight because we have so many fans across the spectrum. We have really big Stephen King fans and some fans who may not be as familiar with their work. So I love hearing all the different perspectives and theories and and everyone coming up with their own Easter eggs and things like that. So please, please keep riding this with us because um, I get just as much enjoyment, not just from the show, but hearing what you guys think about it. Yeah. Thanks everybody. All right. So next week 
we're going to have a special guest reviewing the eighth episode with Rima. Uh, mm. And the episode is called Castle, or it's Castle Rock's episode Past Perfect. Uh, so newcomers set up shop in Strange Indeed. What? No. What? Uh, newco- <laughs> it's actually kind of fitting. It uh, is so kind new- of fitting. <laughs> <laughs> newcomers set up shop in Castle Rock. Henry follows a clue. So I just want to apologize. Uh, my family and I are going to be going on vacation next week, and we will be out of town at the time that we I couldn't sneak in this episode next week. So there will be a special guest to take my place. Uh, but uh, as long as everything goes right, we should still have an episode out next week. So uh, apologize again. I know you guys love my sultry voice, but Rima will be able to take care of it, I believe. I don't know how I'm going to get along without uh, you as my co-host, Sean. You're, <laughs> you're, you're my anchor in the present. What will I do without you? Um, but yeah, we did make the executive decision to go ahead and, and continue on with releasing an episode um, instead of, you know, maybe trying to double up and skipping a week. Um, so we hope that that's okay with everyone. I think, I think you'll be pleasantly pleased with my special guest. Um, but I'm kind of shocked. Sean, you're leaving me in charge. What's I know. I'm hoping that at least like six times in the episode, like, wait, Sean wouldn't do that. So you need to, you need to check yourself. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be all about that, but we'll, we'll hope that the whole podcast here doesn't melt down because you're not here to keep keep things in control (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna call me like sean help i'll be like sorry drunk on a beach (laughs) damn it you won't feel bad for me at all (laughs) well we are really excited for you to travel to castle rock with us and while you're visiting you can follow us on twitter at strange t cast you can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. And you can check us out on Instagram at strange underscore indeed underscore pod. You can email us at strangerthingscastpod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts at podcastica.com. Go on and leave a review for Strange Indeed or any of the other great podcasts at, on Apple Podcast. And speaking of podcasts, make sure to check out Sean in his other podcast, The Language of Bromance, that comes out every Sunday. Yeah, just keep pumping them out. You sure do. All right. Well, that's our show, episode 53 of The Queen. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Jeff Allen is strange indeed. Indeed.